Hi, I'm Mark Roderick. Coming up, a cyber attack on a major U.S. facility. We'll get the latest from the General Assembly and sparks fly in the U.S. Senate over election reform. Next. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the lightning round provided by NC Realtors, State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row. It's Front Row with host Mark Rotterman. Welcome back. Joining the conversation, Mitch Kokai with the John Locke Foundation, Jonah Kaplan with ABC News 11, political analyst Joe Stewart, and Nelson Dollar, senior advisor to North Carolina Speaker of the House. Jonah, why don't we begin with the big story this week, and that's a cyber attack on the pipeline. If we think back to 9-11, which will mark 20 years this September, that was an attack on a symbol of America, the Twin Towers and then the Pentagon. But there are actually 17 categories of critical infrastructure. What if the terrorists took out the Lincoln Tunnel or George Washington Bridge? Cyber terrorists, and that's what they are, they are cyber terrorists this week, took out a major U.S. pipeline that provides the Southeast with 80% of its gasoline. Now, what are the other kinds of infrastructure? The FBI, the Department of Health and Human Services, the U.S. Cyber Agency in charge of cybersecurity issuing a joint warning against for hospitals and healthcare systems. These are internet networks that connects these systems. It's no longer just a hospital. Wake Med in Raleigh has some 80 campuses, 12,000 employees. That network connects the emergency rooms, all the physicians, MRI machines, operating rooms. These are major, major IT systems now. Doctors, nurses, cybersecurity. That is now what connects hospitals, those three main pillars. So the concern now is that cyber terrorists, criminals, they could be overseas, they could be here in the U.S., but these are not people that are under, you know, in a basement working on mom's computer and mom's Internet. These are professionals. If they take from out... From Russia, evidently, right? Well, this one against the Colonial Pipeline was potentially from Russia, not the state Russia actor. You think Russia didn't know about that, that leadership? These cyber criminals were very smart in that they wiped out a key access to fuel two or three weeks before Memorial Day weekend. Think about that, when everyone's driving again. Now, in the U.S., we have these hospitals still administering vaccines, still caring for people. They present major targets. And okay. if that network is hit, you're talking about a real public safety concern. Tony, you, I mean, Nelson, you have the floor. Yes, and the goal in healthcare is to create a complete electronic health record for every American that is accessible to anyone providing you medical care anywhere in the country. And we have invested billions in these systems. So a major concern is security for patient data that is shared on our health information exchanges. And in April, the feds uh, began applying a rule against information blocking. So that means that healthcare providers, uh, the health IT vendors, and the health information exchanges have to break down the barriers to share all of this information on the network. And the irony is you really can't have an effective healthcare system and health modern system where we're trying to control costs and we're trying to improve health outcomes 
for all Americans have that data access without security. So as Jonah is saying, this cyber piracy uh, needs to be the top priority in Washington. Mitch, how do you think the White House has handled this crisis? How have they handled the messaging? The messaging has been poor, and I think the fact that uh, President Biden and his administration were really late to the game in doing something about this is a, is a poor sign. Luckily, I think for him, we're getting the kinks worked out, and gas will probably be back to normal within the next few days, maybe a week or so, and so the, the problem will fade away. If it were an ongoing issue, though, it could be a major problem for him because he basically seemed to step back and watch. Joe, close this out in about 40 seconds, please. Yeah, I think government at all levels faces this threat. Local governments, we've had, attacks, uh, we've had attacks on community colleges here in North Carolina where they've been held ransom for their access to the data. It's the infrastructure, as Jonas said, and that includes government. The president's issued an executive order now to try to address this at the federal level, but government up and down the line has got to do something to make sure its systems are safe. Okay, I want to transition to the General Assembly. Week, Nelson. Yes, and following up on cyber ransoms, the House passed this week HB 813 uh, to prohibit state agencies or local governments from actually making ransomware payments. So uh, this was, of course, crossover week where uh, we ended actually ahead of the schedule with no midnight sessions. I know all of uh, all the reporters here are very excited about that. Uh, we now have roughly 500 bills that have passed between one chamber and the other. And what that does is it narrows down the policy focus that uh, the chambers will now begin negotiating the bills that they passed uh, in, in each of their bodies. Uh, four bills that were passed this week uh, support persons with uh, Alzheimer's and, uh, I'm sorry, autism and intellectual and developmental disabilities. And the most important was Senate Bill 103 that sets up licensure for behavioral analysts. This is something that folks have been working on for years. Uh, healthcare legislation on pre prescription drug costs, dental benefits, oral chemotherapy, breast cancer screening. Uh, the speaker, of course, had a bill on the floor that he championed increasing penalties for rioting and looting. Uh, there were also penalties uh, increased for elder abuse and neglect, and then also uh, in the areas of opening bars and restaurants and more support for charter schools and foster parents. And almost all of these bills actually enjoyed a fairly wide uh, bipartisan support and that helped us get through the, the, the session rather quickly this, this Mitch, year. Mitch, what have you been following? Well, I have often been the pessimist about the Democrats and Republicans working together, but I do want to point out one bill that, to, to follow up on what Nelson just said, really did have bipartisan support. In fact, it passed unanimously through the Senate, and this was criminal justice reform. It threw together a bunch of different items. The one that got the most attention at the end of the week was an amendment proposed by Democrats that Republicans went along with that said that families of the victims of some sort of shooting could see the body cam footage. This is something we've been talking about on this show. That amendment was supported by everyone to help the bill get through, but it does other things too. It sets up a database for bad cops. It also has, as was mentioned on the House side, this Senate bill would increase the penalties for the rioters and looters. And this was the type of legislation that got through 49 to nothing in the Senate, which is kind of a rarity on some issues that could be hot button. Will the governor sign that bill? Well, it has to get through the House first, right. but if right. it does, uh, you would think it'd be something he'd have to seriously consider or else he might face the issue of the first time in a few years of having one of his vetoes overridden. Joe. 
The, the phenomena that's most interesting to me is the crossover deadline itself. Uh, this is an attempt by the legislature to create a kind of discipline over what bills will be heard ultimately going deeper into the session. Although the thing that I find most interesting that's been discussed and legislation's been introduced this session to look at the very terms of legislative service, to see if it's not a ripe opportunity for us to modernize the way that our legislature deals with a very complex array of issues that come before it now, not like the old days where they met in the odd-numbered years to do the budget and then came back only if necessary in the even-numbered years to make budgetary adjustments, it might be time to look at a legislative session that really does afford a full and thorough evaluation of really complex and complicated issues in a more disciplined way. Joan? You know, in a sports analogy, I feel like we're in the regular season here, but the playoffs is where everyone really needs to up their game. And the playoffs here is going to be those budget negotiations. What is the momentum going into this big spending plan, which is the most important function of state government? How to spend, now it's going to be $27, $28 billion of taxes that everyone here, including at this table, pays. And that's where you're going to have to see either consensus or we're going to see the kind of division that has previously plagued the General Assembly and the governor, uh, but, but with this momentum, maybe it will create that kind of bipartisanship that the governor, Senator Berger, and uh, Speaker Moore have talked about. Nelson, wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Well, I do think we now move into a more focused uh, time with the legislation. So uh, some of the bills, um, unlike my friend here, I'm not sure I want them to continue to have a life. I'm sort of <laughs> glad that they've been uh, set aside and you, you, you can narrow in really on those priorities that are one are most likely to pass, but also uh, are most needed in the state. Okay, I want to move on to election reform. It took center stage this week in the U.S. Senate. It was kind of interesting to me that both Schumer and McConnell testified. Yeah, very interesting. We're talking about a piece of legislation called S-1, and that's the Senate's equivalent of H.R. 1, the bill uh, dealing with election reform that passed through the House on a party-line vote earlier in this session. Politico has labeled this, and I think others would agree, a sweeping overhaul of federal elections across the country. We're talking about things like mandatory early voting automatic and same-day registration on the redistricting front, a requirement to have some sort of independent redistricting, which we do not have in North Carolina. The S-1 bill had an hours-long markup in the Senate committee earlier this week, and it had a rare confrontation directly between Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell. Usually they talk around each other and will jibe each other on the side. This time they actually talked uh, against each other face-to-face, and it's interesting to see what will happen with this bill because West Virginia's Democratic Senator Joe Manchin has still not signaled that he's on board. And even if he got on board and all the Democrats supported it, because the rest of them do at this point, the bill still seems to be far short of the 60 votes you would need to survive the filibuster. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. They also, Nelson, want taxpayer funding for campaigns. Oh, they do, and this is the largest federal takeover of a state's constitutional authority for elections that we've ever seen. Uh, New Hampshire's Democrat Secretary of State, Bill Garner, pointed out uh, that their state votes in person on Election Day with very limited absentee ballots, and they actually have the third highest national presidential election turnout in the nation and in California where most of these SR and HR1 provisions are actually already in place, their voter turnout the last four presidential elections has been 
46, 49, 49, and 43 percent. So the question is, you know, uh, who in California is suppressing the vote when they have all of these provisions? What they need to look at if they want to look at reform, go back to 2002 with the Help America Vote Act. That was a Democrat bill with wide bipartisan support that actually uh, helped people uh, and helped uh, states facilitate the election process and, and open up access, and not this bill that we're talking about now in, in Congress that is really just a political power play. Jonah, 37 states, I think you and I discussed this, have voter ID. This would negate that. And what does that do when it comes to federal versus state rights? I mean, state courts have litigated this, and state legislatures have been able to come up with their own rules based on their own factors, too. Some places have much more rural areas, and it's tough to get to a polling spot. Some places have very urban areas, and so do we have to put more hours? This is one of these hot-button issues, which I find kind of tragically ironic in that not a lot of people are paying attention to this because every, they really just say, okay, election day, I gotta go vote. How am I going to get it? And, and so it's one of these inside baseball discussions now, but the real test is going to be come fall 2022, come fall 2024, or even in the primaries several months before that, okay. will people notice any of these changes? Will they care? Joe? Yeah, I think the most important thing to keep in mind here is that voting is an important right in America. The founders did not necessarily see it as an important federal issue and left a lot of the responsibility to the states, as we've discussed. But the truth is people need to have confidence to the subject we talked about, cybersecurity and attacks on infrastructure. That's something people are very concerned about, the legitimacy of elections, because it is all handled now electronically elections, through data. one of the 17 categories of infrastructure in North Carolina, by the yeah. way. Okay, we need to move on. I want to come Right back to you, Joe, and talk about an AP poll, good numbers for Joe Biden. Yeah, it showed that 63% of Americans have a favorable impression of the president. This is relatively high by comparison with other polls. Real Clear Politics, their website, aggregates all the publicly available polls. And that average right now shows Biden with a little over a 12% uh, advantage, above water, as it were. More people thinking favorably of his uh, job as president than don't. The thing that was interesting in this poll to me, the right track, wrong track showed 54% said America's on the right track, 44% said wrong track. But the real clear politics average is negative 7%. So maybe this poll sample was a little more optimistic about the current state of the country than is uh, general uh, the consensus. The two issues that uh, Biden is not doing well on in terms of people's perception, guns and uh, immigration. So perhaps not surprisingly. But among the Democrats in the sample that had a favorable impression of Biden, 90 some plus percentage points said they were, about 25% of, of the Republicans had a favorable impression. And about two-thirds of the unaffiliated voters had an impression. So the president in relatively good shape right now, but we'll see as economic issues and security issues come up if that holds. You know, I will point out this. This was taken before the gas crisis. Uh, and the president, Mitch, does have a lot on his plate right now with Israel and what's going on in Gaza Strip, the gas crisis, immigration. Uh, how he handles this, I think, may definitely influence uh, his poll numbers in the coming months. I think that's exactly right. Five months into a four-year term, I think Joe Biden is still seeing the benefits of being not Donald Trump. The people say, you know, we're, we've got a lot less, partly because of the, the media attention, but just partly because he's a different person. Joe Biden 
uh, is reacted to much differently than Donald Trump. I think he still gets the benefits from that. A Civitas poll earlier this week, I think, has some uh, red flags for the president. And that is 60% of the people polled in North Carolina worry that the Biden administration will do things that will cause the uh, federal government to be much larger and to have much, uh, much too large of a role. And in the uh, age demographics, more than half of every demographic over the age of 35 was concerned about this. So I think if Joe Biden does get to go forward with his agenda, we could see his poll numbers drop. Nelson, CPI index, talk to us about that this week. Well, that's right. And so if you look at a couple of surveys, Trafalgar, Rasmussen, uh, they both show that Biden is actually only slightly more, uh, have slightly more voters approving as opposed to disapproving on the job performance numbers. And if you look at really issue by issue, a majority of voters, they like Biden's personality, um, but they really favor Trump's policies when you take the names off of that. Talk to us about the inflation numbers now. Well, the inflation is beginning to soar. I mean, when you look at the past decade, people have kind of gotten, you know, into this mode of inflation being, uh, you know, between one and two percent, about a percent and a half or so for close to a decade now. And uh, it's inflation is looking like it may jump significantly and it's already jumped in a host of commodities. I mean, your gas prices are going up. They were going up before the pipeline issue. Your, your prices at, at fast food restaurants and everywhere else. And the only other thing I'd pointed out is that, you know, President Obama's approval numbers at this same time in his first term were at 64%. They dropped to 44% by the time that November of 2020. Try to wrap this up in about 30 seconds. Have friend. we learned nothing from the elections? Polls? Do they matter? Do they, are they accurate? I mean, everything is perception, right? And consumer confidence is going to have a lot to do with this. And I've heard a lot of comparisons of, you know, President Biden maybe to Jimmy Carter. I think a more apt comparison is Joe Biden to Al Gore. They're boring, and Americans like boring right now. Well, in contrast to Trump. Okay, let's go to the most underreported story of the week, yeah. Mitch. We had a lot of discussion in the state media this week about critical race theory in North Carolina schools. There was some legislation on that. Much less attention, this is why it's underreported, on the fact that a similar effort to address critical race theory in government agencies is taking place on the federal level, led by North Carolina's 9th District Congressman Dan Bishop. In a news conference this week on Capitol Hill, he called critical race theory, or CRT, so grotesque so contrary to the nation's founding principles, he's moving forward with the House Freedom Caucus on a couple of different bills. The first would ban the use of critical race theory in the military, because that's being used now in the military. The second one would ban federal agencies from having any kind of training that uses CRT. This was a Trump policy. Dan Bishop would like to see it become law. Of course, he's a Republican and a Democrat. It's a symbolic bill, correct? Exactly. He's a Republican and a Democrat-dominated Congress. It's not going anywhere. John, underreported. You know, this gas shortage in North Carolina, people say, well, it's just like the oil embargo of the 70s. No, it's not, because there's actually plenty of fuel in America. <laughs> America is flush with it, and it's not even coming from overseas. The fracking booms in Wyoming and Colorado and North Dakota and Oklahoma, 
created a, it, the problem is getting it to North Carolina and the pipeline is what got it here now the other options we don't really have barges that can come into Wilmington port they can only handle two Moorhead City doesn't have the space we could have trains we could put more tankers on the roads but that creates uh, you know issues so all of a sudden pipelines hmm, that Keystone pipeline doesn't look like it's such a bad idea anymore Joe, underreported? Well, if people love a boring president, Jonah, you will never be president because you're not boring. <laughs> Another poll. From the, the TV thing. <laughs> Another poll, Pew Charitable Trust, looking at the base of President Biden's support on a number of demographic features. I thought this was interesting. Among white Catholics, uh, the president is split, split pretty evenly right now with Donald Trump, which is a little bit of an inroad for him. Sort of the tradition for a Democratic president's uh, black Protestants and the religious unaffiliated still strongly with him uh, this is an interesting dynamic and we'll see how this continues to shape up it looks as though it is a possibility at least that Joe Biden will face Donald Trump again for the presidency in 2024 we'll have to see how these base voters for Trump shift in their opinion over the next few years Nelson underreported please uh, Biden announced support this week for a global suspension of patent rights for the companies making the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, this would undercut U.S. companies who brought the vaccines to the market in record time and who are already expanding production worldwide just as fast as they possibly can. Uh, this policy is dangerous and is opposed by allies like German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who stated correctly that patents are not the limiting factor for vaccine production, and she also affirmed that protection of intellectual property rights is critical to innovation in the future. And there'll be lawsuits, right, if Pfizer and all of them will challenge this. There will be plenty of lawsuits, and Moderna has already said they would share their formula. The fact of the matter is you cannot produce it. The complexity of, of, of these products cannot be produced uh, just by, uh, you know, press releases. Okay, let's go to the lightning round. Who's up and who's down this week, Mitch? What's up? Price gouging complaints. We talked about the pipeline and, uh, of course, people going to the gas pumps. At last report, about 600 price gouging complaints across the state, 60 in Wake County alone. Now, uh, my free market economist friends will tell you that one of the main reasons for this is the price gouging law that we have. If the okay. gas companies felt that they could uh, raise the price, you would have seen a lot less problems at the pump. Who's down? Liz Cheney removed, of course, from her major position within the Congress. And of note, uh, North Carolina's Virginia Fox introduced the resolution to oust Cheney. And she's likely to lose in 2022 in the primary, I think. Who's up and who's down this week? Uh, what is up? The science. The CDC finally admitting what everyone else already knew. You can ditch the masks outside. If you're vaccinated, you can ditch them inside. And that leads me to the down, which is kind of hysteria. Oh, some people with the vaccine got COVID. Eight Yankees, Bill Maher. Okay, are they in the hospital? No. Are they dying? No. The vaccine is working. Joe, who's up and who's down this week? Who's up is President Biden's attempt to reach out to Senate Republicans and, and House members on the infrastructure bill, trying to enroll them in legislation. Uh, it's been made clear from the Republican side that raising taxes as a way to pay for this is a no-go. Um, but we'll see if the president's successful in trying to con he enroll some of the Republicans. Deal, don't you think? What's that? I think Biden needs that deal. I, I think absolutely it would be enormously beneficial for the president to be seen as having worked out a bipartisan compromise on these important infrastructure projects. Down, interestingly enough, the vote 
voter turnout in, in the last presidential election in North Carolina. We had very high turnout, but it was still three percentage points as less than it was in 2016. I'm not sure if that was COVID-related or not, but most other states saw significant increases in voter turnout while we saw a slight decline. It's those negative ads. Okay, who's up and who's down this week, Nelson? Record job openings. The Help Wanted signs are out. They have reached a record of 8.1 million. Uh, the concerns out there in terms of people coming back to work, child care, fear of COVID, uh, as was mentioned, and extension of unemployment benefits. And for that particular reason, several states are now cutting benefits uh, in order to entice people to come back to work. And also businesses are out there uh, having to pay what signing in North bonuses. Carolina? Well, I don't think you'll see anything change uh, because of the, 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 the structure of North Carolina's government and unemployment benefits, but I've driven around the state last week when I still had gas, and <laughs> it's all over the state. It's not just the urban areas, but the rural areas. Uh, there are help-wanted signs everywhere. It is, in down. every industry. In every industry, we need people. So who's down? Biden administration's relations with uh, Mexico, their failure to control the crisis at the border, and also spending more money on NGOs in Mexico who are attacking President uh, Lopez Obrador. That's no way to treat an ally. Headline next week, Mitch. Pennsylvania voters head to the polls to decide whether to rein in the governor's emergency powers. Jonah, headline next week. Pressure grows for ceasefire, but tensions just keep going up in the Middle East. How engaged is the Biden administration? Right now, they're not, because it's very volatile territory for Democrats, because the progressive wing, intersectionality, it's just uh, Israel is, is not seen maybe as most Americans historically have seen it. So they're going it alone. Headline next week. Shortages in inflation. Could it ever get worse? Oh, yeah. Hurricane season starts in two weeks. You had to bring that up. You know, you're Sorry. a pessimist. Headline next week. <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes begin their Stanley Cup quest. It's time for the masks and the gloves to come off. We miss anything this week? Anything else you want to bring up, Mitch? Well, the one thing that we mentioned very briefly is the budget is going to be the next major focus, and we should see some budget numbers soon. How come he always gets that question? Because <laughs> he's to my right. Okay. <laughs> Great job, Jess. That's it for us. Thanks for watching. Hope to see you next week on Front Row. Have a great weekend. Major funding for Front Row is provided by Robert L. Luddy. Additional funding provided by... Funding for the Lightning Round provided by NC Realtors. State Employees Association of North Carolina, Mary Louise and John Burris, Reifenberg Construction, Stefan Gleason, and Jane and Van Hip. A complete list of funders can be found at pbsnc.org slash front row.